Hi everyone, and welcome to the Mirror Media Podcast, episode 4B. Today you are joined with me, Mukunda Raghavan, and... Hi everyone, this is Rachid Taplio. Um, so this podcast is going to be a continuation from um, a long time ago, actually. I think it's like three, four months. Yeah, it's it's been a long time coming. Unfortunately, uh, life got in the way. Yeah, I mean, I've been traveling a lot, and Rachid's been super busy with work, and kind of things just got ahead of us. Right. Um, so our apologies for delaying this episode, which is part two to the episode 4A, which was on um, Artha and Dharma. And this one will be on uh, Kama and Moksha. Um, which Mostly Kama. Mostly Kama, yes. A little bit of Moksha because Moksha is, is an important topic, but it is uh, pretty uh, voluminous. So right. we have to probably spend another entire episode. I mean, we'll probably go through... Uh, each of these topics separately on its own because there's so right. much about it. Certainly. Um, but we just want to give a general overview um, on Kama um, today and a little bit on Moksha and touch upon how they play um, into the larger scheme of the Purusharthas. Um, so since last time we talked about Artha and uh, Dharma, we'll just give a quick recap. Um, well, I will. Um, Rachit, whatever you want to say, you can jump in. But uh, no, nothing to say honestly I'll, I'll let you do the recap yeah. and we can jump into Kama so in the the last episode in 4A we, we discussed Artha and Kama which Artha is basically wealth or prosperity um, and dar, um, not Kama but uh, Dharma is uh, a, I mean like we said last time it's variously translated many things but in this context it really means like what sustains and morality and righteousness and customs and law and it's a very intricate um, term, uh, and in that episode, we kind of went over the the highlights of both what both these terms kind of refer to in the larger scheme of what's known as the purushartha, which is the the goals of men. Um, and in this episode, of, of people, of humans, you should say. I I, I I am sorry. Because the purusha is, is actually you know genderless. Yes, in, you're in, in this there. context. Um, but I mean, I I mean, people use uh, man in, in kind of like the ubiquitous term right. to, uh, to uh, bring in everybody. Right. Uh, but uh, I am corrected. Uh, uh, the goals for human beings. Um, so, Kama. Um, the unique thing about Indian thought and Hindu thought, and I think Buddhist thought in some regards also has these kind of um, purusharthas, but they has a, a particular role for Kama, which is variously translated either desire, sexual pleasure, um, or kind of your impulse for, for, I mean, the word, not happiness, but pleasure, right? Uh, yeah, pleasure and basically the fulfillment of human desire. Yeah. Um, and, and that includes sex. Um, that includes... Uh, but, but that is a minor part of it. And I think that's what we want to explore over here is that, yeah. you know, the whole semantic field of the term kama, of, you know, what it could imply, even in the modern context, taking a more humanistic interpretation, so to say. Sure. Uh, and I think um, we find Kama to be, it's a very interesting topic because, especially in our society, and in fact, in much of the Abrahamic religions, sensual pleasures is kind of, and I'm only using Kama in a very narrow sense right now, mm-hmm. um, in terms of sexual or sensual pleasures, is a very restricted activity that's supposed to be controlled and kind of, um, in many ways, um, subdued unless you're in the marital bedroom. Um, and it's kind of seen as a necessary sin 
to achieve uh, the larger goal of, of kind of having children and kind of having um, uh, perceived life, right? But it inherently, like for example, that whole idea of original sin is connected to sex, right? Like original sin passes down because Adam and had eventually had sex and, right. and they, they understood their own bodies and, um, and, then they, and then they were kind of taken over by carnal desires, as they say. Right. Um, and that kind of is like a, a sin, um, you know, like Jesus says something, you know, if you have lust in your heart, um, something to extent, uh, it, it's the same thing as a sin. But in the Indian context, um, Kama is not a sin. It's actually like a, a beneficial goal for human beings, right? Um, there is a, a Subhashitam that says, you know, um, in all beings, sleep, sex, and food are 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 natural, right? It, right. Whether human, it's only in human beings that the thought of reason or the ability to think in uh, in in a in a righteous way has a role, right? And that's what supposedly sets us apart. Yeah, supposedly, right? I mean, I mean, we all know we're we're just another type of animal that's uh, right. kind of trying to figure out our way in the world. Um, but when it comes to kama, the the really interesting thing is like our stories don't treat desire as something inherently bad. In fact, I mean, I would say our stories and texts celebrated. You know, as as you're obviously aware, right? Of texts like the Dashikumara Charita, Katasarita Sagra, they're all about the exploits of princes and would-be kings who go around and have uh, uh, encounters with the opposite sex or are just traveling around the world and having you know great adventures so it's uh, you know this is something that's uh, not frowned upon and really accepted as part of existence yeah and and the thing about it is you know most people when they think of kama they always think kama sutra kama sutra like sexual positions um but actually vatiana who wrote that book actually wanted that text to be like this dharmic ex- exposition of what kama is absolutely and and this the sexual aspects of it are only a minor part and in fact you know kama sutra isn't the only text right there's a whole field of kama shastra where you've got tons of texts from all kinds of people i mean there's another famous text called the anangaranga there's one called the ratirahasya uh you know others uh, there's a lot of huge commentarial tradition actually on these texts too for of uh, for example yashodara on the kama sutra someone called uh, Jayamangala Kshemendra, you know, the, the famous Kashmirian. So, uh, you know, this was accepted as a valid intellectual tradition and something to be acknowledged and commented upon. Absolutely. Um, and the thing is, like, when you talk about Kama, it is not just as in a sense of free love, everyone, like Woodstock, everyone just hooking up with everybody else or right. engaging in wanton sexuality. It is... Uh, a sexuality with a purpose, with with an intricate and deeply intimate relationship. I think one of the most important elements that Kama requires is that it be an intimate relationship between yep. between uh, people, right? Yes. In, intimate and consensual. Consensual and 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 very conscious too. You know, it's it, it's something. I guess intimacy would cover that. Idea. Yeah. It, it, but, go ahead. No, please. So I mean. One of the things, for for example, and we can start talking generally in examples, is in the Mahabharata, Kama is one of the one of the most talked about um, ideas, right? Uh, so it, it, there's something that uh, comes from the definition. So I'm going to give you a definition that comes from Bhishma. Oh, actually, Bhima, Abhima Sena in uh, right. in the uh, Vanaparva, a book 
33, you know, uh, of the Vanaparva. And he says basically that the joy and the pleasure that arises from the interaction of the five senses, the mind and the heart, that is, in my opinion, the best of all fruit, uh, the best fruit of all actions. And that he, he calls Kama. Kama right. is that which the five senses, the mind and the heart are all joined together producing uh, uh, an end that is enjoyable to both absolutely and you know so this comes to that larger point that i wanted to make about kama not just being like sexuality but sensuality as a whole so in my view it would also cover the field of kavya right you you're it's it's your your senses coming together to create a piece of art that when you listen to it or you know if it's a play that when you when you see it or dance like paratanatyam and so on that it it produces uh, certain feelings of contentment and pleasure inside you. So, and, and so in a very broad definition, uh, I, I think all of these other pursuits uh, that existed in the Indic tradition are, in my view, part of common. So just to open this up a little bit, um, I mean, we, tr we threw out the term kavya, right? So uh, I guess some of our listeners not, might not know what kavya is. What exactly is a, like kavya in, I guess, the Indic tradition? So, uh, in my limited understanding, I'm not an expert in poetics or anything, but Kavya really uh, you know, covers uh, the whole gamut of Indian literature, which could be referred to as poetry. You know, you have epic poetry with the Mahakavyas, uh, you know, including things like Shishupalavadha and Urubanga. Uh, uh, well, Urubanga would be. It's I guess more of a Nataka, but it comes yeah, under. Right. Uh, it comes under Kavya, though. I think they all should technically come under Kavya. Although, if we have any expert Sanskritists amongst our listeners, yeah. please correct us if we're Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. Uh, you know, our intention over here is to you know discuss these topics to the best of our ability. So, if we think about this, right? The, the, or the and, and it's not a tangent, and it's an important point. I think right. when, when discussing Kama, one of the the earliest. Kavya is considered to be Ramayana. Yes, Adi Kavya, Adi the original Kavya, right? Kavya. Yeah, so this is, the, it's, and what is it a story about? Is It's a story about, part of it is a story about the, the longing that Rama has during the time of his separation from Sita. And that's kind of like the beginning of the story. I don't want to get into too specifics. No, but I think that's that's a good anecdote. It, it, it's, it's, it's the word shloka, which is what we call right. the, the, uh, the the stanza format and mm -hmm. you know uh, four lines with uh, eight eight meet, uh, eight syllables in each line yeah. ends up being thirty two total syllables. Uh, syllables is known as a shloka and that comes from according to the etymology of Ramayana comes from the fact that Valmiki observed the the pains between two birds that were separated from each other right. crying out and, and the word for pain or suffering is shoka. So from shoka comes sloka. So he wanted to express the the pain, the desires, the 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 intimacy and the and the humanity of both Rama and Sita in the Ramayana. And and from that it's like this, you know, we have two elements of kama there. You have the kama of Ravana mm -hmm. kind of overtake someone like Sita through uh, through uh, I guess attempting to rape her in many ways right you know and that was in, one in, in the original sense of the yeah. word meaning abduction abduction i mean obviously the, the mentality right. would be like you have to uh, but he couldn't according yeah. to the story because he was cursed and he couldn't touch her right but i mean although this is a minor tangent it, it is important to know that much of the literature that has spawned i mean indian literature has been the core of it in many ways is kama is the desire for 
for whether it's progeny or sex or like for example Mahabharata what's the what's the root cause of what caused Mahabharata Shantanu's desire yeah. for um, uh, Satyavati or at that time right. uh, Matyaganda right. right her name was Matyaganda and she becomes Satyavati absolutely the, the, his desire to have relationship sexual pleasure a marriage whatever with that woman caused Bhishma to make his vow Right. And if you even look at it chronologically further down, uh, it was exacerbated by people like Dhritarashtra with their kama, their moha, you know, the putra moha as referred to it, but Duryodhana right. wanting to give this kingdom to their son and not being righteous. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think all of humanity actually has, you know, kama at, at its root. Right. And if, if you actually look at it, and I know like depending on the Indic tradition we talk about, some of these terms have positive or negative connotations, but I think this is something we can get into in one of our future episodes where we start talking about concepts, right? The, the Shaktism and Tantra. But, you know, kama in essence is actually at the root of uh, the existence of, you know, of uh, rather the expansion of the universe. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's that's something, again, that we can get to at some point in time. But I, I, I would wager, you know, I, that it's it wouldn't be incorrect to say that all of human existence is essentially common. Like all human endeavor besides, uh, actually, uh, you know, not even besides uh, Dharma or Artha because if, or even Moksha because these all, you know, you, all, you have a desire to follow Dharma. You have a desire to accumulate wealth. You have a desire for... Uh, release a final salvation so I, I I think Kama is what underlies <laughs> it's a it's a it's everything. a funny thing that you brought that up because um, again and, and this goes back to Mahabharata again and Bhishma I mean not Bhishma but Bhima people do think he's a dullard right you know like he's stupid right. but he's actually a very wise character in mm -hmm. the in the story so in the book and he says um, and I don't want to quote the Sanskrit because I don't I think we get a little too messy right. but um, basically, in my translation, it says, uh, he says, basically, the ocean of human activities are varied as are the desires. Kama, indeed, is present in all actions. And, and, then his, and then he follows up with saying, there is no being now, past or future, that is without Kama. Thus, the essence of both Dharma and Artha, O great king, um, is Kama. They are its expressions. Right. And, you know, if, if you also look at these, you know, descriptions that we have in, in our mythology about you know, describing the world, like, you know, what is the world and why does creation exist? And you go back to concepts of Leela, like this is a divine play yeah. that the divine being, whichever sect it might be, uh, has created this whole play for their own entertainment. So, in you know, again, just going back to the whole idea of Kama. Yeah, and the thing with, with, with Kama that's very um, important is that it's, it is the, the core of a uh, relationship between husband and wife right yes. um and and that that is the core and the family unit especially in the indian tradition is the core of all society so if the family unit's stable the larger community sure gets more and more stable so yes. you know like one it says you know the the relationship between husband and wife as between all men and women is intimate and subtle with sexual union being its common attribute right, right. so that union is not just for simply procreation it is a way for the husband and wife to build that that intimate and subtle connection, and this is important in in our context because, um, especially within the framework of Purusharta, marriage and sex are are connected, but at the same point they're not mutually exclusive of each other. Right. Um, you know, there are numerous stories 
of women um, having sexual desires and pursuing them outside of uh, of marriage or men doing the same. Oh, and, in, and in fact, this is a very common trope in much medieval literature. There's this whole a text called the Shuka Saptati, uh, we know which is the, the 70 stories mm-hmm. uh, from the parrot. Uh, and, and the whole idea is that you've got this lady whose husband's a traitor and who's gone off for a few months and and you know she wants to take advantage of that situation go meet her lover but the parrot's actually looking out for the husband and so every time she goes and tries to meet her lover he actually tells her a story about lovers trying to meet each other but things going wrong and so that prevents her from you know making a a bad decision so that when her husband comes back you know they're united and they're happy uh, in their marriage I thought I'd throw that in there. And, and, and this is important. I mean, that's a great point because a lot of these stories are are very much talking about not only what was probably um, kind of normal in that time in Middle India, I imagine right. that was probably accepted in some sense. Yes. Because um, there are like uh, uh, rules about women, if their husband's gone for a certain number of years, can take another husband Absolutely. or so on and so forth. And, and in fact, there's even the idea of, and this goes back to, what most people think about Hindu or Indian culture, oh, arranged marriage, arranged marriage, arranged marriage. Arranged marriage was just one of the many forms of marriage within the Indian system, right? Or, or the Indian uh, ecosphere. Um, one of them was intricately connected to Kama, which is the Gandharva uh, marriage, or Gandharva Viva, the, right. the marriage between two lovers. And the requirement was not even families being involved. All that right. was needed was the two lovers and this could be, it might not even be formally a marriage. It might be an understanding between two people that love and care for each other and that decide that they want to be together. For, for a certain period of time. A certain period of time or you know, as time comes, whatever yeah, it is, right? And, and for example, like, let's let's say Shakuntala and Dushanta, right? right? They didn't get formally married. They, well, but there wasn't there the whole situation where he did go to her father and ask no, for her hand? No. Okay. So in the story, in the Mahabharata version, I mean, there's multiple right. versions. So I'm right? talking about Abhignana Shakuntalam, which I was my Kalidasa. Is a, yeah. He still doesn't go ask for her permission, okay. um, but it's it's a different way they approached it. In, right. in, other, in the original Shakuntala uh, story, uh, Shakuntala and Dushanta meet, and they fall in love, and yeah. they have sex. And and he promises that he will recognize her if she ever comes back, and, you know, what and... Uh, to the kingdom because she said I can't leave and she, she she remained until the child was born the child grew up for numerous years and then she went back to uh, Dushanta's kingdom and then presented the child um, and but she didn't stay with him she went back and did her she left uh, Bharata uh, at that time as the as the child uh, with Dushanta there's other stories of yeah I mean it's you know it's it's it's, it's interesting that again this seems to be such a familiar motif you know about people or different characters having deep desire for each other getting separated yeah. and either then you know getting uh, together back again or you know some, some other eventuality happening but uh, another text that you know comes to mind is uh, Vikram Urvashi and you know by Kalidasa you know which talks about the king Pururavas who falls in love with the Urvashi who's an Apsara and uh, the whole text is really beautiful because you know if you see the descriptions of both of them pining for each other and how they're talking about it to their friends and just the ornate poetry that comes out of it is is just uh, phenomenal I, I'm totally I mean the, but the but the thing was interesting with even that story is that um, you know Purvas falls in love with Urvasi 
And Uvershi says, you know, I'll marry you or I'll be with you under certain conditions, right. right? It's not as if like the the man is the one that determines how, how to be with a woman. The oh, woman wow. is the one, even for example, Ganga, Absolutely. Ganga yes. and Shantanu, right? Yeah. She says, I will do X, Y, Z. I will be with you as long as you don't cross a certain line. Right. And and once you cross that line, I'm gone. Right. And, and, and this is, I think, an important motif that we have to also bring up. And I, I, I want to do another podcast on the status of women within yes. the epics and the, and the uh, in general uh, um, Hindu like and I would say not even the epics I would also be very interested because I don't think I've seen I mean I'm possibly there's work on this but also the status of women in folk literature because if you look at it in folk literature they turn out to be very empowered oh because a lot of these texts and in, in the epics and and other quote-unquote I hate using this word brahminical texts are more prescriptive rather than descriptive right but if you look at uh, other collections of plays and short and you know stories from medieval times they really uh, present a lot of situations where women are in a position of power. And, uh, you know, this is something that needs to be recognized because I think the modern generation is, has no idea, no. you know, what life was like in, in medieval. I want to say medieval India. I'm not talking about after the Islamic invasion. Sure. Medieval in the Indian context is actually the first um, uh, millennium CE. Sure. And, and, and just like a random point, which I think is both funny and kind of informative of the discussion of Kama and women in this particular sense. Um, I forgot where exactly, I have to go back and m- remember where I found this uh, this, this, this quote. Um, basically, the, the, the thing is, um, if a woman desires a man, and a man does not sleep with her, he, he's considered uh, committing a sin. Because, I mean, it's just funny I mean, to me. I mean, yeah, it's that's one way of putting it. Yeah. I think in that context, it's... It's, it's in essence, if, if a woman comes to a man, yeah. he can't deny That's her. Right. That can mean many, yeah. em, anything. No, I'm just, I'm being right. a bit facetious, but right. it, it, but like the the idea again is that the desire of women is just as important as men. Oh, 100%. Um, and it's not just in much of, you know, like we could say Greek literature and uh, even Roman literature, the role of women is substantially minor compared to men, especially in regards to sexual liaisons or self-choice or free will and this even applies to much of uh um christian and and then like uh judeo-christian and islamic literature where the role of women's free choice is much much less yeah absolutely it's it's, 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 uh, certainly very limited and again you know none of this is a value judgment in any way it's just a, a discussion of social norms that existed amongst different cultures at different times. You know, another thing I'd like to share over here also, you know, since we're talking about the status of women, is, uh, you know, the, the place that, for lack of a better term, prostitution had in ancient uh, yeah, yeah. medieval society, right? Connects desire. Whole, connects to desire. Yeah, connects to desire, but the whole concept of the Ganikas. And, uh, you know, that... What's that, a Ganika? Ganikas were basically sophisticated courtesans. Okay. Uh, who, uh, you know, yes, one could be with, but, you know, the idea wasn't that one goes and pays somebody and can have a sexual relationship with them, right? That's uh, another uh, concept of a Rupajivika. Someone who, and it's a very interesting term because it means someone who lives by their looks, right? Yeah. So Rupajivika. But the Ganika idea was... Uh, you know, it's it's someone who's sophisticated, who's trained in all the sixty-four arts, uh, you know, poetry, language, music, and so yeah, on. Yeah. 
and and that they had the ability to choose who they wanted to be with and command the price that they wanted. They were treated with respect. They had protections from the state. That's right. Uh, you know, and uh, and and nobody could treat them with disrespect and get away with it. Uh, beyond that concept, there was also an idea of the Nagaravatu, you know, who was literally the wife of the city. Yeah. In essence, the most powerful Ganika. And again, commanding a lot of respect, a lot of power, and probably a lot of influence as well because of, of the men that they were, uh, you know, really intimately uh, connected with. And there's that Buddhist uh, uh, story. Uh, Amrapali. Uh, Amrapali, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, she was a powerful, powerful Ganika. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, with, uh, and, and, and even the idea of, so this is the interesting thing is sex itself was seen because it was seen so na- as natural right. it wasn't seen as prohibitive outside of marriage right and I mean it might have, it might be seen as lower cl- like an activity that you should not do right. but it was not prohibited not right. prohibited was something that would accepted and I I, I I think sometimes you know when and people say this that oh look India was the land of Kama Sutra and look what it's become what they miss out is yes People had enlightened views about sexuality, right. but also most sexuality is very circumscribed. And, uh, and, 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 you know, even texts like the Kama Sutra. So, you know, unless we get ahead of ourselves, we have to realize that most of these texts, and it says in the text, written for Nagarikas, who were urban dwellers, firstly. Yeah. And number two, most of these Nagarikas, if you actually look at the descriptions of them and how they're supposed to go around their, their whole day, their dincharya, their daily schedule, really only fits either very rich Kshatriyas or mostly Vaishyas. Again, yeah. people who had a lot of money who could entertain and indulge in these things. Most Shudras and Brahmanas, because of either lack of status or uh, you know, religious injunctions, couldn't really partake in this. Right, right. I mean, and, and going back to the, the, the real point is desire, pleasure, and intimacy are a foundational element that's clearly not denied in our tradition. Right. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, I mean, we talked about quite a few of these things. Um, you know, there's entire books written on them. There's entire poetry written on them. There's, there's epics and their storylines all, all kind of come from a desire. But is that desire always a good thing? And, and I think that's where we, where, where, for example, there's, uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to quote a couple things that I found in, again, in Mahabharata, again. It's, 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 my, it's my thing. No, no, I mean, it's, it's an encyclopedia. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a story in Mahabharata and Adi Parva about this king named Yayati. Um, Yayati is considered um, kind of uh, the ancestor of both, uh, both the Pandavas, the Kauravas, and the entire clan of you know, Krishna, the Yadavas, and all that stuff. He's, He's actually even considered the, the ancestor of the Persians eventually, right? No. Yes, I so, mean, all these different groups, who, right. you know, who, who, according to our textual tradition, migrated out of greater India. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, and, but so that's Yayati conversation. was a, a great or ancient king who had basically two wives. Um, and he did it shakily. So he had a first wife with, uh, uh, I forget her name, I think it was Deviani. Deviani. And, then he, um, and then he fell in love with his teacher's daughter um, and her name was uh, Shamashita uh, I believe I, I might be I, I, I'm pretty sure that's right um, and he had he had basically lived with his wife Deviani and also lived with uh, Shamashita at different 
at different points. He had two different families there. Until he was, they, they, they were both friends. They finally discovered they're married to the same man. Right. And he got cursed. He got cursed by Shukracharya to basically have uh, become an old man immediately. So lose all his virya. Yeah, lose all his uh, power, his stages, everything. So become from a young, strapping, you know, uh, powerful king to a weakling old man um, without the ability to have sex or do anything, right? But because he was still so deeply tied into his pursuit of kama, he uh, went to his sons because he, he got a, a an escape route, like a, a clause in the in the curse that says if any of your sons will take up your burden. And switch places with you, then then you can have your youth back. Um, so he asked all his sons. His all his sons said no, except for one, and that was Puru. Um, and that's where the line of the uh, the entire the, the uh, and the Puru line comes in, right? Yeah. So all of them, Yadu, uh, Anu, and Drahu, they all kind of uh, said no, 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 and so he kicked them out. And that's where the migration occurs from yeah. all these people. Uh, right. But Puru says, uh, his youngest one says, I'll take it from you. Yeah. So Yayati passes on his old age and he gets uh, Puru's young age. And for a thousand years, he full, the story says, frolics around, enjoys sex, enjoys living life. He still rules the kingdom. He does right. his dogma still. He still does uh, all the stuff he should as king and everything else. But when his time, after a thousand years, he comes back to his son and said, you know, take it back. And he gives the reason is, the thirst for pleasure cannot be satisfied by enjoying more pleasure. Just as a fire can grow more when fed with more oil, it's not extinguished. Right. So no matter how much you keep feeding it, you'll keep wanting more and growing more. Right. So that's why he returns the, the young age back to his son, takes on old age to go to the next level, which is what? Moksha. Moksha. And I think this is a really good segue. And and I think this is something very important for us to realize, even in the modern age, right? Especially in America. If you notice, we're also obsessed with youth. You know, we're also obsessed with being forever young, whether it's, you know, rejuvenation. But most of these rejuvenation is, is, a, very, is a very physical and superficial rejuvenation. Absolutely. We want to look young from the outside, but it's not about youthfulness of mind and heart, of improving our physiology uh and uh so you know it's it's this is this is important i i I think that we have to realize that you know the way especially the life was conceived of in in india with the various stages it's important for us to realize we have a time when we should enjoy and engage with the world it doesn't have to be a certain age but you know just we we engage with the world we enjoy the world and then comes time to move on and think about deeper issues so let's actually do this let's spend a little bit of time bringing ancient idea of kama and its world mm-hmm. to the modern world we live in right. uh, the, the world that we live with instagram culture and sexuality being thrown everywhere right and you know um i mean and we have to think about when you if it's so fundamental like desire like physical pleasure like right. even visual pleasure right. so important to us in this world we, we live in today there's no sense of boundary as Absolutely. to what where that 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 should be right mm-hmm. you know sex is is thrown up on every billboard for every child to see right. for 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 you know whatever uh, body images they uh, they want to uh, you know propagate mm-hmm. and they're, it's it's self it's made to use sell things mm-hmm. it's well that's the other thing right so i mean not just sexuality but also our 
culture which is just based around consumption. Right. And, and really everything. But consumption is comma. Is, is, is comma. That's what I'm saying, yeah. right? And, and again, they're using sexuality to sell like products. The whole idea of travel, right, has become so common these days. People want to travel honestly just for the sake of it so they can put pictures on their Instagram. Yeah. And show that they were all fancy places on a fancy yacht or an airplane. Uh, and, and again, which is fueling this whole culture of uh, FOMO. And uh, so, you know, it's I, I think that their Indic thought might provide us with a lot, you know, to to help express ourselves, express our calm, express our desires, but in a manner that is fulfilling and doesn't hurt the world at large. And, so, and that is actually truly satisfying. So, so then you can move on to other things. And this is the important part, right? And, and I think like in our modern day, especially with this hookup culture and right. in the West, you know, I mean, I'm sure no kids are listening to this podcast, but if you are, you're going to learn about this anyway. Um, the constant drive for for men to have sex with as many women as they can or hook up with right. as many women as they can and 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 the need for women to feel validated by them being super attractive and wearing what they're wearing and um, kind of there's this perfect storm of disrespect to the fundamental idea of connection mm-hmm. and intimacy in a, in a deep sense right yeah. and and I think what the comma tradition is trying to say is yes if, if you don't use your brain you're just like a, an animal on the street Absolutely. that just the moment you get you're in heat you're, you're you're having sex with as many other animals as humanly possible of your same species obviously right. but in if you are to be a human you should have sex it's normal it's good it's Absolutely. important but do it in a way that is intimate respectful connected right yes and i'm not saying like only have mar- uh, sex in a marriage that's not what i'm saying at all right what i am saying is if you have a connection with someone that's when you should try to be more intimate with them, not at a point right. where where it's just like I just want to get my rocks off. Right. No, I I, I definitely agree with you, and especially in the you know in the Indic tradition, and depending uh, how deeply one subscribes to it, but you know there there's karmic consequences and baggage sure. <laughs> for all of this. So. No, and this is important. I mean, like in our in the Indic tradition, so so far in the most of the stories, if they're if if the man and the women are of the, I mean, I don't want to say the right path, but the more like um, conscious path. They tend to join together in sexual union when they both committed to each other in some way, right. right? They might have lust for each other, but they but they make a commitment to each other before they enter into that lust, right? right? Uh, whatever sort of commitment that is, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is simply not a way to objectify each party, you right. know. Um, you know, there's I mean, there's a bunch of stories I can say. Like there's one with with. Um, uh, Ashta, he's he's a sage. Ashtavakra. Ashtavakra, yeah. and and how he was in love with a certain woman, and I mean the story is not again Mahabharata, but um, this other woman tries to entice him, um, and he he just says I'm I'm in love with another woman, I I love her, I'm not married to her, but I want to marry her. I'm not going to engage in sexual intercourse with you. I mean, it, it's much more intricate than that because it goes into mm-hmm. into um, ideas that uh, that were brought by uh, Ashtavakra about w- the negative nature of women. So mm-hmm. he spoke about the good nature of women, and this old woman tried to entice him by saying women are negative. But that's another right. story. And the important thing I think we have to really drive it in, in, in today, especially for the culture we live in, and, and we see this in India, right? Like you know, I've lived in India for a few years. 
people think it's so much cooler now to be more Western and, and, and kind of like go out and hook up and do this other stuff, right? It's, they, it's to be modern equals to be more sexually free, as they call it. And I don't know if that's true sexual freedom because it's, it's a psychological bondage where you feel validated only by... Only by you know, indulging in activities like this, you know, it's, and that becomes a measure of a man or a woman. Right. You know, it's, it's pretty sad, uh, you know, that you're taking something that's so beautiful and such a integral part of life and, uh, you know, making it this, you know, uh, at the, putting it at the root of this kind of scorecard. Yeah. For people's self-worth or the, their worth in society. And, and, and I think we, especially in this day and age, we should look back to, Look at our texts a little bit. Try to study them and try to understand why is something like Kama so important, but also because it's so important and so powerful, has to be controlled by us. Absolutely. I mean, it, it cannot be unbridled. No. You know, it's, uh, it's the controlled expression of desires. And control doesn't mean... Uh, oh, suppression. It's or, suppressed, yeah. but it just means, hey, you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a controlled way to let off steam. In yeah. a way that's constructive and doesn't make the, the whole system blow up. Right. And, and and again, outside of kama as purely sex, but any sort of pleasure, right? Yeah, yeah. any expression of human desire. Right. You know, or, or, or the need, I think kama in some sense, in the modern sense, can also mean something about a, your your in, inherent, quote unquote, feel good, right? Like when you talk about like Instagram likes, people yeah. feel like validated because they that, that justifies their like being. Mm-hmm. That to me is just as comma oriented like comma overtaken uh, you know i gave you the example of travel earlier yeah excessive obsession with travel just for the sake of it could 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 also you know just be hurtful and harmful in my eyes like most intellectual pursuits are also an exertion of comma it's human yeah. desire right it's not essential sensory experience uh, or sensory expression in this case, uh, again, taken to an extreme can probably lead to outcomes that are hurtful and harmful to either the person producing them or the person who consumes that output at a yeah. later point in time. It's, food it's just, the food is also uh, a, go, a kind of comma because yeah. it like eating certain types of food and yeah. really gets you like happy and, and eating too much. I mean, right. You know, gluttony. And, and this is important is, is to think about how deep these things really really uh kind of impact us right and really right. really um are important to our everyday being. Uh, we don't think about we think the indian world is somehow in the ancient past right and has no relevance outside of go to temple pray to god exactly. or or do a meditation on the side or or limited. yoga you know like you know goat yoga and <laughs> and beer yoga and all these <laughs> thousands of uh, pointless yogas that have popped up just to again justify in someone's mind that I'm creating something unique and valuable right. without without a sense that these things are deeper they, they have more meaning yes. than than what you want to input to them now mm-hmm. and and the comma has been kind of been washed away from Indian society in a, in a very I mean I think this is obviously a product of Victorian age also is the Victorian moral and the and, and the, part of the Islamic world when they came into right. India it was this stifling of the the overall sentiment of what what the role of Kama and yeah. the Purusha does. And, and I, I think that's why there's an overreaction in India these days, uh, which is which is sad. But I, I I do think in times 
you know, in, in time, things will normalize. I mean, right. the world is in a state of dynamic equilibrium. It's not in a state of static equilibrium. So there's this whole yo-yoing that happens. And I think in time, uh, the hope is that we do connect with our own culture, our own roots, and realize that, yeah, you know what, there's much of value over there that we could utilize to live fuller, freer, more fulfilling lives right. in the modern age. And just the caveat I just want to throw in is, you know, with, with like homosexuality and transsexuality and all that stuff, there's no prohibition in comma in any of these things. And that's important is there was never a sense that, you know, um, especially in the, the more older stories and epics, and maybe more when you get to, towards medieval India, there was a little more uh, derision of these, of, of this lifestyle and inherent nature. But I, I, I think the epics kind of show, and the older texts, show a very clear kind of acceptance of this as being natural, right? Of, for example, transsexuality, you have the story of Illa, who is uh, uh, born uh, uh, either, there's multiple stories, but either born a ma male becomes a female, or born a uh, female becomes a male. There's Shakundi uh, in mm -hmm. the Mahabharata, who's born a female, but, um, but desires to become a male, um, because that's what she feels that is her push right um and there's numerous stories and they all have they end up have they have children they have sex they have they have all these things and it's seen as perfectly okay yeah, plus i mean you know because the whole idea again of the atman you know being genderless genderless yeah it's for us in our tradition it's not necessarily a, a problem per se yeah so because a love is usually between atma or yeah. because it's connecting to the deeper love that is yeah. inherent in nature yeah, and right? recognizing the oneness within us all right so. um so f we kind of spent a lot of time on comma and we went a few different places but i right. think it's uh we've hit some really key points i, I think so this was a freewheeling conversation as as we sort of usually have yeah uh because you know it, it allows it to be natural it's it's not scripted in any way you know this is just the expression of our ideas sure you know, if you want, we're really tackling it from multiple points of view Again, with our intention being that, you know, through this conversation a month on some nice ideas come out and, yeah. and you know, uh, it inspires others to go and look deeper into these ideas. So jumping from that last point about the negativity that can be caused by overindulgence in comma, mm -hmm. the next major uh, or the next or next and final, I guess, right. uh, Purushartha will be moksha. Moksha, which, yeah, I mean, after you could think like the soul has exhausted its desires, or rather, because desires are inexhaustible. Right. Uh, you've you've uh, been overwhelmed and uh, have, have just had enough of it. Uh, you know, you want like a verama, a, a stop to yeah. it all. And, and that, in essence, is moksha. Moksha is also known as nirvana, which means yeah. the, 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 the stopping of movement. Right. Right. So, which is, like you said, extinguishment. But, I mean, moksha is. And it is incredibly important. Yeah. But I think there is this sense, especially first let's talk about what moksha is. Moksha is you touched upon it, which is the freedom from not only desires, but also freedom from attachments, freedom right. from uh bondages of any 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 type, um, equanimity, um, the ability to see some of darshana, which is seeing everything equally, right? Exactly. It's this, it's this ultimate penamot kind of uh, place or state. Both, maybe both. I, I mean, but it is there where 
all things are seen as being one in in Brahman um, right. or you know whatever devata that you want to consider. I would even say in more general terms, it's a release from our standard way of engaging with the universe around us. That's whatever that's, that might be, right. you know, depending on the I think that's I think that's too. a, a and, great way to do And it. I mean and Moksha Shastra is just all about this, right? And the majority of topics that most people talk about when they talk about Indic tradition yeah. and then they go into Hinduism and mostly in Hinduism they'll talk about the Shastra. I think it's just been spoken about so much that you know it, we can say a lot about it, but you know that's again just a drop in the whole ocean, and that's why I think our intention over here was to put a little more effort into Kama. Kama. But one thing I do want to say, right, just taking a, a different uh, lens on moksha, okay, you know, is it's just something I was just thinking about, and I'm, I'm not saying this has been thought through completely, but uh, I was just trying to see how moksha might be relevant from a humanistic perspective, you know, in the modern age too. If someone who's not interested in you know or actually even buys into this concept of final release you sure. know, from this this samsara and and i was thinking that you know yeah yes it, it might actually still make sense because moksha then could be just viewed as uh so let, let, let me backtrack dharma could be righteous living in general artha mm-hmm. could be again economic activity so that uh, that could help us uh, fulfill our de- desires, and that is kama. Yeah. And moksha could be, you know, once we've finally had it all, it's a search for something deeper and just non-standard ways of engaging with the world around us, right? So it's it's really a release from conventional modes of being and doing. No, I, I think that's totally right. Um, the idea, I mean, moksha is is something you strive for, something you can do, right? right. Inherently. Um, it's a state you either get to or you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult, right? In our text, it's, it's incredibly difficult to get moksha because it's one of the most intensive things that are required. It requires, I mean, in some sense, what we talk about when you talk about mindfulness uh, meditation, right. the ability to shut down the conscious mind right. and to really be not only in the now, but be in the everywhere, right? Like to see, you know, one of the things Krishna says, you know, um, uh, so he's basically saying the the person after numerous lifetimes gets to this state where they see me Brahman or God you can say God whatever you want to call it. or you could say oneness of all beings he sees the oneness in all beings and what does that oneness do you can't harm them anymore you can't lie to right. them you can't you can't be perturbed by them anymore you just see them as like it's like saying you look at your hand and and can you tell the difference between right hand and left hand? It's like what's what's more. There's this equal connection to them, right. and that's the idea. Is all of us are part of one intricate f- being of consciousness. And, and I mean, you don't called. even need metaphysical ideas for this. If you look in purely physical terms, we all exist in the same sure. universe. We're made of the same stuff that exists in that same underlying fabric of the universe. Right. Right. So, you know, we we don't even need to right to, to go into that. that no, direction. I mean, but that's but but it's. I mean, we we kind of are going into. No, it I know we are. No, but I'm just saying again, going back to that, just taking humanistic. No, perspective from the humanistic perspective, it's just looking at all things as one family in some sense, right? Right. Like, uh, you should not see difference between religions or races or genders or you know, n- not in a way that is painful, right, or hurtful. Like compassion is the overwhelming karunya, right? Is the overwhelming kind of uh, 
feeling along with what the Buddhists call mitta or metta and what we in in um, in Sanskrit called maitreya, maitreya. Right? which is the 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 love of of like friendships or um, a connection that's connection like different human beings yeah just caring about each other uh, those are just nice ideals that honestly benefit all of us if right. all of us can buy into it if we have some social contract based upon that we're all making not necessarily even sacrifices but all doing things that benefit all of us we all benefit right if i take 10 percent of my effort and try to benefit you or others around me sure you have to realize is i'm being benefited by other people too so it's not like oh i'm losing out it's, it's intricate web yeah right? it's an intricate web and, and i think that's one of the problems with modern society is that uh you know we have this whole attitude for each person for themselves and uh, you know we lose out really on these nice system effects that would end up benefiting all of us. Right, and, and part of you know this idea of, of moksha is also the ability to see other species like yourself too, right? yeah. animals, you know, cows, monkeys, dogs, um, which is what, what I think one of the reasons why vegetarianism is very highly touted. Mm-hmm. Um, although whether or not vegetarianism leads to one being much more, a you know, uh, I, I think equanimous or seeing everything equally uh, I, I don't know, know if that's the case yeah. I don't know if all traditions say that is indeed the case but it is a state that one certainly you know seems like they come to you know after right. you've realized and that all beings are somehow connected and you have love for them then it kind of becomes hard to consume them. and I think that's what kind of you know right now with the Dalai Lama and much of the modern Buddhist movement is really focused on taking Nirvana, which is the same exact thing as moksha, right. but like in negative terms, right? Mm-hmm. Moksha is a, many times expressed in positive terms, like right. satyam jnana manantam, right? You know, like it is a, a, a realm of, or a state of bliss, of yeah. ultimate knowledge, yeah. of reality. Yeah. The Satchitananda. And then you also have, you know, the, the, the Buddhists will say something like, it is a place of no movement, no activity. Yeah. The, the Voidness. Stop, yeah, it just, it's basically talking in negative about the same thing well i mean yeah and that's a some people would agree with us on that some people would disagree i tend to think yeah, it's, it's just different descriptions different points of view of the same indescribable right i mean in, reality but in in the Upanishads, right there's a whole uh, not iti, yeah, uh, neti, neti. Neti, but, you know, neti, but you can say, we could say neti too, right? Yeah. Not, not the neti pot. Not the neti pot. It's <laughs> not iti, which means not this or not yeah. only this, right? It's um, in, in the open, in the, again, I think it's Brihadaranika. Is it Brihadaranika? Yeah, Brihadaranika. Yeah, in that Upanishad, basically, Yagnyavalka lays out what, why you can't limit the idea of Brahman or Moksha. Because Brahman and Moksha are synonymous. Right, and and I think that's important to taking it back to the metaphysical place outside of the humanistic. Right, right. Um, the the nature, Brahman and Moksha are the same. Meaning, the entity or the being that is Brahman is the same thing as a state of being Brahman. Mm-hmm. Right, there's no difference between the two. Yeah, because this is like a subjective, phenomenological experience. Yeah, um, and obviously we could spend a lot more time on this, and I think we've kind of scratched the surface on this. You know, there's Moksha is one of the most talked about but least understood ideas, I think, in the Indian uh, world, especially today. There's all these gurus talking about how quickly you can get it, you know, just your mind in, in, in this lifetime. It, it is, our texts are very explicit that this is not a thing that happens in any particular lifetime. It is a process 
that happens over many, many lives. And no one knows who gets it and who doesn't. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the beauty of it is, I mean, sure, you know, you've got all these modern, you know, 20 minutes a day sciences and engineerings. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the beauty of the text is, though, that you can engage with this whole uh, thought spanning thousands of years. Yeah. And, and, and sure, I, I, you, you, you can either accept traditional posi- uh, traditionalist positions or, you know, come up with your own position that, you know, if you find intellectually and personally satisfying. You know, it's, it's just that I, I, I think people are losing out so much by not engaging with these, the texts and the, and, and the tradition. Again, I'm not saying tradition in the sense that follow the, the traditional path. I'm right. saying that a lot of knowledge has come down to you. And, you know, if we just take... Uh, you know these uh, diluted versions that are being diluted. Uh, uh, sorry, diluted. Versions. Or maybe diluted and diluted. I grew up in India, man. You know my pronunciations a lot of times are differ from you know mainstream America. But anyway, so uh, you know you threw me off. But my whole point was that uh, we need to study the text. We need to to engage with the ancient thought that has come down to us because there's so much depth over there and unfortunately you know we're going to lose out on all of that and have malformed and poorly formed ideas of like you're saying what does moksha mean what does salvation mean and uh, you know what are the different ways of looking at life and reality at a deeper level right I mean I, I think it's important for us to to be clear that we're not deriding anyone particularly right now. We're just saying there is a lot of, or at least I'm saying, you can agree or not, um, there's a lot of bad information out there from a variety of people that talk on uh, on these ideas of moksha, nirvana, of, of salvation, of um, you know this state of bliss or whatever you want to call it, right? It's, it is not an easy path, but it is a very fulfilling path. And once, once you decide to walk down that path and and take it seriously. This is not something I think people can do like 20 minutes a day and become a master of. It's something that has to kind of infuse your life. It's a way that you kind of start living towards. Right. And as you live towards those goals, you kind of become more in line with that, with moksha, right? The more you start showing compassion and speaking the truth and... Uh, being, uh, you know, forgiveness and trying to control your anger, all these things are stepping stones to achieve moksha, right? Yeah. It's not simply like, oh, you know, I meditate 20 minutes a day, I must be having moksha. You know, I, I'm, right. I'm saying the same, these prayers, I'm getting moksha. Absolutely. It's a much, these things are meditation prayers and all these other things we do are mechanisms to clean and clear our mind to get to a place where we can start imbibing in these values and and practices to get there right absolutely i mean that's just my my, my take on no, it i think that's and i i, I think that's wonderful and I, I think that's a great point to uh, wrap up this discussion well, yeah on. we'll start um, we're gonna wrap it up i just want to spend two minutes just talking about the 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 four thing the four purchatas together and how okay. i mean you briefly mentioned it but i just want to close it off with this you know like the, the, how the role that martha kama moksha plays out in one's life in connection to maybe even the ashramas right very briefly we don't need to get into depth on this right so we talked briefly on the last episode also about the ashrama stages which is brahmachahi grastya um vanaprastha and then sannyasa right and they kind of 
I mean, so moksha in this, in the in, in that four stage, right? The first stage, brahmachari is studying, learning. Second stage, grihastha is to be a household or living and taking care of your family and being the primary breadwinner or or the primary person, the primary people in charge of your family unit. And the vanaprastha is when you start kind of living on your own, detached from your family. And then finally, sannyasa is like the stage where you're trying to give up everything to understand oneself. So moksha has much more power. I feel like it's like this scale that the the level of importance of moksha grows yeah. as your age and Absolutely. as you pass through the stages, right? right. And the other the other uh, strands are the kama and dharma. Dharma is actually kind of prevalent throughout. You, you, mm-hmm. you can't not get rid of dharma. Dharma is kind of like the casing in which everything else works with it. Um, and so I'd actually say, and sorry to interrupt, that sure. I think all four of them are present throughout. But as you said, the relative importance yes. of these change over time. Yes. So I mean, uh, the, the reason I say dharma is kind of the casing is because the idea is you should practice artha and kama and even moksha in the confines of dharma. Like for example, if you decide to go on your path of moksha, but you don't, you don't take care of your family, you don't, you don't provide. You take these, you start the responsibilities, but you don't finish them. That's not considered good, right? Well, that in that case, the Buddha would not be good. In some He's sense, he wasn't right. Out in, his wife and kid. In some sense, right? Because yeah. the whole idea of dharma is it's it's multivariate, right? right? So it might be good for the whole world, but terrible for him as a father or a king or whatever, right? And terrible for his wife. And yes, his kid. and there's those elements. So that's an interesting point to discuss, you know, because we always have so many of these discussions about. Uh, the character Rama and oh and how he treated his wife. But yeah, nobody really talks about how the Buddha treated his wife. No, there's kids. there's no like point brought up by oh the, the guy had a kid and he just <laughs> bounced out like literally like a year into his kid's birth. It's like oh, I can't deal with this. <laughs> he left his wife there, you know. Like exactly. it's no one talks about that. That's yeah. that, that's very so, very. True. You know, I, I like to joke and you know, sorry for the irreverence. I hope I don't offend anybody, but it's just like you know, he goes out for a pack of cigarettes and never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the difference would be he goes for a pack of cigarettes, doesn't come back, and then gives a message to try to free all of humanity from bondage, right? right? So there's that element that might be missing in the modern context. I don't think people right. are leaving their children to go try to save the world or provide knowledge. They're kind of like, peace out, I'm going to go right. um, hang out with some other girl or live my own life the way I want. True. So, um, But, so... In that sense, that these these four purusharthas play um, an, like an oscillating, vacillating role in one's life as we as we progress through it, and and maybe in different points in that progression, different things take precedence, right? Maybe you have to become more money minded in order to take care of your family, um, or and less less connected to like moksha or dharma I, don't, I mean these but are again in the context of dharma like taking care yeah. of the family is part of your dharma yeah yeah so but, as long as is becoming money minded is connected to providing for your family but in a way that doesn't harm all society at large it's but fine. The, the, the important part of dharma is it's the understanding that everything you do has good and bad consequences con- good and bad consequences yeah. always there's positive and negative externalities to use economic terms and it's all about trying to be cognizant of those to the best of our ability. Right, and to minimize the, the, the damage. damage one can do. Yes. Um, because, you know, life itself, life eats life, as it says, yeah. right? Um, so I, I think this was a very fruitful kind of overall discussion that closes off both the uh, Purusharta and uh, Ashrama. I mean, I might want to spend some more time separately on Ashrama. 
and kind of go through the intricacies of it. But I think this is a a good conversation we've had to Absolutely. to expound on these topics. And um, do you have anything more? I think you no, want to add nothing. Uh, I think this has been a great conversation. I think we covered uh, everything essentially that I would have liked to touch upon. So yeah. Um, so guys, um, listeners, um, all I guess hundred of you. 50 of you, I don't know, whatever number there is. Uh, it's growing. You guys are growing. And hopefully we, we get yeah, bigger, no. faster, right? Yeah, no, not even faster, honestly. I mean, it's, it's well, uh, we, we get more engagement over yeah, time. That's and true. We improve the quality of our content. I mean, our goal is just to share these ideas yeah. with, you know, our audience. And, uh, and you know, we'd love feedback, too, to be honest, Ab- right? Yeah, absolutely. Like How we can improve these. Uh, so Yeah. So, guys, if you have questions about anything we discussed or anything you thought we missed, please let, let us know. Um, you can uh, reach us on our emails that we've provided on the website. Um, but if you don't have the website, uh, we're also on Facebook at the Mirror Media, Instagram the Mirror Media, um, and you can hit our G- our email, which is the Mirror Media at gmail.com. Um, and give us your thoughts, your concerns, your ideas. Uh, and I think this is uh, we're we're progressing slowly. We're going to try to do more content. We have a few. Um, kind of series we're going to start announcing in the next couple weeks, maybe a month, um, that we're going to do. Uh, try to put more content out like weekly. Right. Uh, in addition, I, I know that um, I am due to put some theme music that I'll, I'll somehow find uh, and get some people to, to put a theme music to us and check us out also on YouTube. We have uh, Mirror Media on YouTube, which we, we tend to do um, interviews and uh, uh, video interviews and discussions with professors and experts in the field um, to really spend a little more time with people that know more, way more than us. I mean, right? We're good, but we're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> we're just you know dilettantes, and just yeah. amateurs who love talking about this stuff. But I think we are ideally placed to engage with these experts and help get some of that knowledge right. to a broader audience. Uh, and you know, yeah, we'd like to do more of that uh, going forward. So, guys, if you have any talent you want to bring to the table, like if you're interested in doing some art for us, so we can sell maybe like some shirts, some cups, some mugs, any of that stuff, you know, send us your stuff. We can, we can, we can help you out. So, thank you so much for joining us this week, and we look forward to having you join us on future episodes. Um, have a good day and good night. Thanks. Bye, guys. Good night.